Hey, welcome to night school. And just full disclosure, I'm drinking this. Uh, it's allegedly an energy drink. It's called C2O, plant-based energy drink. It's a plant-based energy drink. And uh, it's absolutely awful. It's absolutely awful. And I, I don't mean this to turn into some sort of like energy drink tasting show. Because, you know, I, I owe my soul to bang. And I drank a bang yesterday. If you couldn't tell from the episode yesterday where I was just fuming, I was just out of my mind. Uh, if you couldn't tell, I drank a bang before I did that episode and then drank some double tea bagged green tea afterward. If you couldn't tell, I was jacked out of my mind. Well, good. That's good. Yeah, I drank a bang yesterday, uh, and I didn't even mention it, you know, and that shows you that it's becoming normal if you don't even mention it. But yeah, today I'd gotten a couple of these cheap, they're very cheap, uh, C2O energy drink, and don't mistake this for promotion, because this is awful. It tastes so bad, which is good because I'm pacing myself, but I don't even trust that it's going to do anything. Like the fact that it's called a plant-based energy drink... Just that that tells you everything. It says it has a ton of caffeine, so I trust that it's going to do something. It says it's got a bunch of electrolytes. Got a bunch of electrolytes. But yeah, I just got to let you know, I don't recommend it. And there's a difference between this kind of bad and some of the bang flavors that are bad. Like the very first bang flavor I ever had was cotton candy. Which, as you can imagine, a cotton candy energy drink is going to be absolutely putrid. But it was a good enough putrid that I came back for more and I wanted to try other flavors. There was something good about it, even though it tasted so artificial and horrible. There was still something that brought me back. And I think you can really gauge these energy drinks by a couple of factors. I mean, along with the fact that, like, this is a bad, bad taste. And, I mean, it's like movies. I mean, it's like music. It's like everything else. There's bad, bad and then there's good, bad, and people just intuitively get that. And this is bad, bad. Cotton candy, bang, good, bad. I don't buy it anymore, but that's what brought me in the door. That's what brought my ship into the bang harbor was cotton candy. So that alone, I, ha I have to give it some credit for that alone. Uh, but this is bad, bad. I'll never buy it again. I have another can of it. This is mixed berry. The other flavor I have is lemon-lime. Maybe that'll be a little better. Maybe by the time I get to the lemon-lime one, I'll be talking it up. I'll be like, this is great. Maybe this will make me feel so good when I finish it, though, that I, I will actually start drinking it. I don't think so, though. But I think you can tell everything from its slogan. Because as I've mentioned on here before, Bang Energy Drink has the wonderful slogan, Fuel Your Destiny. I didn't even have to look that up. I didn't even have to look it up. That's just from memory. Fuel Your Destiny. But uh, C2O, plant-based energy drink, their slogan is live rejuvenated. And they have a little leader. Like they have like in, in small text, it says, one sip and you will know what we mean by dot, 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 live rejuvenated. And live rejuvenated is in this kind of like lowercase but big kind of like pseudo handwritten font. It might be. No, it's not handwritten. You can always tell. I mean, that's the uncanny valley of text. I think I talked about it before where, where you'll get junk mail 
that's written in this font that's made to look like cursive handwriting, but you can tell it's not. At first glance, I mean, the whole reason why it looks that way is because at first glance, you think that it's, oh, it's handwritten, that must mean it's not junk mail. But, you know, at second glance, you know right away, especially if you know anything about fonts. Especially if you know anything about fonts, you know right away. But it's that uncanny valley effect of text, you know, uncanny valley being like when a robot or an android or a, an AI, CGI representation of somebody is very close to being a realistic human, but there's something subtly off, whether it's in their movements, whether it's in their, their features, or just something where it's like they're close but not quite real. And that bothers you more than if they were uh, further away. Like an android who is very close to resembling a real human, but their mannerisms or their expressions are just a little bit off, that is far more disturbing to us than just a straight-up, like, Terminator exoskeleton. It's funny how that works, and that applies down the board with a lot of things in life. I mean, I find it just with people in general, where it's like if I have a lot of common interest with somebody, but there is, like, some tiny little sliver that's important to me, that can kind of ruin the whole deal where I'm like, screw this person. We have everything in common but this one little thing. Their favorite riff from this album is that, and mine is this. Screw them. You know, it can be something like that. It applies down the board in life. Just how it's like when something is, like, whereas when it's like something is fundamentally different. Like, I have friends who have different, like, completely different taste in music. But, uh, and that's, and it works out because it's like we never, we, it doesn't even matter. We know not to like push music on each other and we, and, and, you know, you don't worry about what they're listening to in the car and this. Whereas like if you have a friend who's into extreme metal and they like some really shitty band that you just, they represent everything that you, you know, you just can't deal with it. It's like that can be, that can break a friendship. You know, that house of cards can fall just based on that alone. Because it's like you almost like the same exact things, but there's some like fundamental difference. I don't know. It's kind of the the same. It's an uncanny valley effect with androids, though, where something is like so close, but they're not quite there. And that disturbs you more. And it's the same thing with, with these fonts, where it's like this is almost handwriting. It's a font that's designed to look like handwriting, which people use for design. I mean, like this can here that says, Live Rejuvenated. Because that's totally, that's totally the kind of slogan that's going to compete in my world with Fuel Your Destiny. Those are totally going to... Oh, Live Rejuvenated. That's totally going to compete with a, an absolutely wonderful slogan like Fuel Your Destiny. But no, but like Live Rejuvenated, it looks... It's pretty good for a fake handwritten font, but I can tell. I'm looking at the V's. I'm looking at the E's, and they're identical. That's how you always know. You always know that it's a fake handwriting font because you just look at two of the same letter and you know. No matter how consistent someone's handwriting is, you're going to see subtle differences, and that's important in design. That's important in design, in my opinion. If you're going for a handwritten effect, handwrite it. And I don't have great penmanship, but still, it's like if you're going for a handwritten effect, handwrite it. I understand why a big company does this, though. I understand why they use a font. 
even though it's the uncanny valley of fonts. But anyway, yeah, mixed berry garbage, mixed berry C2O. I like mixed berry flavor with different products. This one, it doesn't even, I would never even know that's what it is. It just tastes awful. Tastes awful. Uh, but anyway, uh, a little bit of shop talk here. A little bit of shop talk I'm going to get into because I finally made a domain. I finally bought a domain for this show. You know, I never really wanted, you know, yesterday I was talking about the centralized humiliation portals. You know, when the internet centralized certain ideas and like how something like People of Walmart was a centralized humiliation portal. It's not that the internet wasn't already a humiliation portal. It was just more fractured. You could find humiliation all over the place, but you started to see these websites exist where it was like, here's this. And now we have things like Reddit and all, all kinds of things. I mean, the entire internet is still a humiliation portal. Uh, but, you know, the centralization of things where I don't like that, actually. I don't like the centralization of the internet. It, gives, it makes it easier to control, which we're seeing now. It makes it easier to censor people. Um, but, uh, and it also, it's aesthetically bad. We see where the centralization of the internet has also led to a lot more uniformity in websites in how information is presented. And I'll get into that in a minute here because I was thinking a lot about it last night. But real quick, just shop tick, shop talk, uh, is, yeah, I bought a domain, uh, school night podcast. You know, I thought about different names. I'm like, that's just simple. I don't want I don't want to have to type out every night's a school night. Uh, so just schoolnightpodcast.com. You're not really going to find much there. I mean, I I, I wrote a little description because I realized that the old description because I did have a little page for this website. And if you don't want to hear somebody be really if you don't want to hear somebody be really self-referential about their podcast, this is not going to be the right episode for you. Just appreciate all that energy, drink, talk at the beginning, and move on if you don't want to hear me talk about my own show, because that's part of the reason I'm doing an episode today. Uh, but, uh, you know, like I, I used to have a little page on, on my own homepage, a little sub page, but it was horribly out of date. Like I, I, was, I hadn't looked at it in years, and I looked at it last night, and it was still based around the whole like drinking persona, which was real. You know, it wasn't like I made that up for the show, but it was still very much based on the like, because I had the slogan, which I still like, and it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate I quit drinking because uh, I had the the best slogan in the world for this show, which was uh, the glass isn't half full and it's not half empty. It's straight up empty, and I'm gonna go get another drink. Yeah, I've never said that out loud, so excuse me if there's some choppiness there. But it's yeah, it's it's not half empty. It's not half full. It's straight up empty, and I'm gonna get another drink. But it doesn't apply anymore. And there were also just, I realized too, that I, I guess I didn't even realize I was doing this, but there were a couple things on that page, and it's not like there was a lot of writing on it, but, you know, I mentioned night school, and I mentioned, like, something, like, about my, you know, witness my downward spiral, and I was like, that's the opposite of what this show is now. Maybe to somebody it's still that, but not to me, that's what matters. Uh, and I was like, and that kind of plays on that whole, like, nihilist humor that I hate. I didn't even realize I was doing it. And that makes me wonder if other people don't realize they're doing it either. Like all these kids who post nihilist jokes all day where, where it's just like, not get out of bed much? I don't even know. I, <laughs> my, I'm, a, I'm a little rusty on coming up with 
parody nihilist jokes that millennials make. But they're popular. They're very popular. This whole, like, depressed much? Life meaningless much? You know, probably, if you're around my age, if you're 35 or younger, probably half the people you know are more trade in in the currency of that humor. And I, I they might not even realize they're doing it. Because, like, I was looking at the, the old Every Night's a School Night page, and I was like, I was doing it. I was doing it, too. And maybe, maybe that's why people liked me. You know, I mentioned before how, like, I, I feel like I was more socially popular when I was at my worst. And it's probably because I was trading in nihilist humor. I was like, oh, yeah, you know, like, life sucks, and then you die, so you might as well uh, hate life even more, right, guys? You know, it's like that kind of talk. Uh, but I realized that's that's not relevant. It hasn't been relevant to me for a long time. So I'm glad I, just on that alone, I'm glad that I cleaned that up because it's just like, yeah, that if, if somebody were to look at that, they would get the complete wrong idea about this show when that was really only a couple years of it. You know, this show's been around for over seven years, and uh, that was only really two or three years, you know, maybe a few, maybe a few Four years, I don't know. But either way, it hasn't been the case for a few years here. Uh, but yeah, now there's a domain, School Night Podcast. You know, it's so hard to write about this show. It's so hard. And I, I don't do anything to market or promote it. But I just, recently I was like, you know, I should just have a website for it. I should have a domain name with a single page with the basic information that I feel is necessary for listening to this show. Where to find it. I wish that it was easier to, I wish I, I, I speaking of centralization, I, 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 nothing more centralized than I, it's all about me, the world revolves around me, I'm the center, I, but no, speaking of centralized, you know, I wish there was a centralized way for people to listen to this, because SoundCloud, to me, while the show is hosted on there, it's not the ideal way to listen to it, and from the feedback I've gotten, a lot of people don't listen to it on that, they listen through their podcatchers. And I'm, and if you have any feedback on that, if there's some sort of service that I'm not making the show available on, let me know, because I'm interested in expanding how and where you can listen to this show and, you know, where it's convenient for different people, because I'm not totally in the loop on that. It's on the main things. It's not on YouTube, because I'm just not ready to, like, make video files or whatever I have to do. It's just way too time-consuming. Uh, but yeah, if you, if you happen, email me at uh, schoolnight at ericstonefelt.com if you have a, a reasonable suggestion for where I can have this show hosted. Uh, not hosted, but just other other uh, podcast listening services that might be available. Because right now it's on Google Play, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, a.k.a. iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, I'll probably just start repeating them if I keep going, but uh, yeah. So I, I'm just I'm always curious about that because while I don't really care about marketing the show or, or trying to like reach a new audience, I am curious about what services are convenient because I don't listen to podcasts that way. I've managed to not be a huge podcast fan. Like I like when I started doing this show in 2013, I didn't listen to any. You know, I really didn't listen to any, you know, maybe one or so once in a while, but there weren't that many either. I mean, I'm not trying to claim that I was one of the first people to do a podcast by any means, but at that time it was definitely a much different world. 
and I didn't even know what I was doing. I was just like online radio. I guess they're call. I guess the kids are calling it. It's what we call a podcast. It's what they call a podcast. It's kind of was my approach to it. Um, but uh, you know, which is funny because that's all like that must have been influenced by iPod, which is antiquated. You know, iPods are now antiquated, but I'm guessing that was all influenced by the fact that people would listen to them on their iPod. But you can see where the podcast has outlived the iPod. And uh, But anyway, just to get away from that, because that's really extremely boring to talk about. Uh, with the website, you know, it's so hard. It, this is, and this is going to be really interesting. Just so you know, what I'm about to say now is going to be really interesting. Uh, but like trying to write what this show is. I mean, that's the real dilemma. It's like, I could be extremely self-deprecating, or I could be extremely arrogant, or both, I'm sure both, but to me, being falsely self-deprecating is actually more obnoxious than somebody who is arrogant or narcissistic. Like, when you can tell somebody is being self-deprecating just to kind of, like, not seem arrogant... That pisses me off more because it's like, I see what you're trying to do. Like, I love self-deprecating. God, that could have sounded like something else. Self-deprecating. I love self-deprecating humor when it's coming from a real place. Like, when you can tell that it really comes from a, a, a genuine disgust about something that you do yourself. Uh, but, uh, you know, it, it's become such a currency to be self, and it goes with the nihilist humor thing. Cause I, when I see a lot of these nihilist jokes, most of which aren't original, like most of these are things that people just repeat or they're memes that people share. Very rarely are these jokes original. Like if somebody was coming up with really like cutting, you know, just like nails in the soul nails being pounded into the soul, like genuinely unique nihilist humor. I mean, I still like that kind of thing. You know, I love dark humor, but it's like a lot of it is just like, they're just passing along these like nihilist trading cards. It's like, they might as well be popsicle stick jokes about nihilism. And I think that's what bothers me about it more than anything, as well as the fact that sometimes you can tell that it's an attempt to seem humble or, you know, like I've mentioned this before and I experienced this with, with people I dated and just some friends I've had over the years. And there are social groups that have become so defined by their depression and their nihilism that to be anything except depressed and nihilistic is seen as a betrayal to that group of friends. Like, oh, you're getting too big for your britches. Oh, you don't want to just sit around and talk about how you can't get out of bed anymore. And I understand there's real depression. I understand that there are real issues. There's, there's people who just fundamentally feel life is meaningless. But I have also come across these groups of friends, and there's a lot of them actually, depending on where you look. But there, there are these groups of friends where it's, while there is no doubt going to be some true uh, mental illness or, or, you know, there's going to be some, some real clinical issues there, there's also this social reinforcement where even if the issues are real, there's not really much of an attempt to get beyond them because the social group's identity depends on feeling that way. And again, if you don't do that, you're suddenly at odds with the group. Because the last thing those people want to hear is that you're doing well. The last thing those people want to hear is that you found a, a, a way out of that way of thinking. 
And you probably don't want to be around them either if you have found a way out. Because you're like, oh, you just sit around and talk. You just sit around and, and tell popsicle stick jokes about nihilism that somebody else already made. You know, and, and it's just it's it's this self-perpetuating cycle. And no, I'm not demonizing depressed people. I'm not demonizing people who have real issues. I'm saying there is this social component that is developed. There is a social identity. I mean, we saw it with like the the quote unquote emo trend. Like when emo went from being this sort of like post-hardcore thing that was a little more emotionally raw to something that teenagers just adopted and had no idea what they were doing because it was just a way to channel their their angst. You know, when when the quote-unquote emo trend kind of developed, which I saw develop, you know, I had friends who got into that. I never did, but uh, because I'm so much better than them. I'm so much better than everybody. But no, like I, I got into my own bullshit. Uh, but fortunately I managed to sidestep the emo thing, but, uh, that's a good example where, and in a lot of, and it's, it's no surprise that a lot of these people I'm talking about who are millennial adults now who are in this like self-perpetuating depression, social circle, a lot of them kind of went through an emo phase that they never grew out of while they may have gone on to other music and other fashion a little bit, maybe, uh, but you know, some of them kind of went through that phase and they never really got out of it. That was kind of their foundation. And I mean, like I have my own foundations, you know, maybe I should grow up in a million and in one different ways for sure. But I, I don't think those two things are unrelated. I don't think it's unrelated that people like really invested in this depressive identity. And a lot of those people that you now are, are very focused on like social justice and these other worldly issues, like they've channeled that, but they, they still have the same angst and they're still depressed. So, and they, and they still kind of are part of these self-perpetuating social circles. Cause one thing that that emo phase has in common with these adults that I'm talking about is they don't really seem to want to get beyond it because Getting beyond it would mean they can't blame everybody else in their life. It would mean they can't blame all these people out in the world. Because you think about an angsty teenager, and that's what they're doing. Very rarely is an angsty teenager, like, while they might admit they hate themselves, I mean, that's part of it, is like, I'm a suicidal teenager who hates my life, and I hate myself. There's also a lot of blame. And that's what you'll find with people who hate themselves. Like, people don't tend to hate themselves in a vacuum, they tend to talk a lot more about other people causing them to hate themselves, or they tend to focus a lot more on the external world around them. Even though they'll readily admit they hate themselves too, you see where a lot of that energy gets focused outside of themselves. Uh, and uh, anyway, this is all started because I was talking about being self-deprecating and how, while I love self-deprecating humor, and I mean, I, I consider, I mean, because I mean, this show to me is a, Speaking of humiliation portals, I consider this show a, a, a self-humiliation portal. You know, there's there's a lot about this show that makes me cringe, and I know it would make anyone who knows me cringe, and I like that. I like my warts. I like the fact that my big toe is, uh, I don't know. I don't know what my big toe is doing. I like the fact that I don't have a big toe. <laughs> That's what my big toe is doing. It's not even there. I got phantom... You heard a phantom limb and phantom leg? Well, I got phantom big toe. I got phantom wart. I got warts that you can't see, but I just feel that they're there. 
Um, but no, this show, yeah, I mean, like, you know, part of the show, is, I think, is a certain amount of self-deprecation. But I, I try not to use self-deprecation as a way to elevate myself because that's what I see people doing, like, when they're like, oh, you know, I, 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 I suck, it's a way of it's a way of communicating the opposite. It's a way of sort of beating people to the punch, and I know a lot about this because I've done it. I've I've thought this way where it's like, oh, I'm gonna beat someone to the punch. I mean, it's like when you're fat. Like I didn't do this a lot when I was fat, but there were definitely times where I did, where I would be the first one to mention it, maybe. Or like a I noticed that bald guys do this. Speaking of which, I'm I'm balding like rapidly. I'm bald, like, like I've, I've been balding for years, but I've noticed lately, like, hairs are popping out. It's weird. I'm probably stressed. I don't feel shitty, but I think I'm just stressed by everything. I think I've been stressed. Uh, but uh, anyway, so I'm just telling you because I want to be the first one to say it. But I mean, you'll notice, like, a lot of bald guys will just, like, announce they're bald. And this is something I noticed early on. Like, my friend Nick and I, when we were growing up, we had a joke going back. I mean, we, we must have been in junior high, and this joke has managed to stick around. I even made a comic about it when I was doing my shitty grandpa comics a few years ago. There's even a comic about it. But Nick and I have had this joke going back to when we were like young teenagers about a bald guy who gets up in front of a group of people or he's at a social event and he goes, I'm bald. I'm bald. Almost like he's coming out of the closet, like a gay man being like, I'm gay. Like when I was in high school, they had the Gay and Straight Alliance. It was a club for gay and straight people to be in alliance. And it also allowed like there were sometimes there would be like somebody who was ostensibly straight would join that. And I guess that was kind of like a cover because there was one guy who was a member of that club. And uh, we in the lunchroom, there were TVs. And one day he got up and he was a big guy. Uh, big in every respect and he got up and he turned off all the tvs in the lunchroom and he stood in front of the entire school or like you know all the people who had that lunch and he goes like i'm gay and nobody said anything like nobody was like boo or yeah you know nobody cheered him on or people just didn't know what to do you know because it's not like it was a gay friendly environment you know this is the age when you know that was a common insult I don't think people were deeply homophobic, but it was just people were flipping about it. But everyone just kind of looked at him and then just like resumed their lunch. It was probably like the last thing he expected. He probably expected either a confrontation or or like maybe some sort of celebration. I don't know what he expected. I mean, this is like 2002, probably 2003, maybe. Uh, but uh, I mean, good for him. You know, if that's how he had to do it, you know, he he made a big thing of it. You know, so it's it's not like he sat his parents down. It's not like he maybe he did, but like it's not like he sat his friends down in school, or it's not like it was something that was just person to person. Like he made a big announcement. But what I what always stood out to me about that is he turned off all the TVs, <laughs> which like they would just show like leader. They would just show like uh, like the leadership class in in high school would make like weekly videos. They would have like a fake. It was so stupid. They would do like a fake news desk but the part that really bothered me is they would have like comedy sketches but they would seriously just steal stuff from saturday night live they would they did like mr peepers like if you remember like the rock and like chris Catan, i guess his name is uh chris Catan, chris Catan, escaton chris Catan. <laughs> um 
but they had like the rock and Chris Catan, like they were like monkeys, I guess acting wild. Like they did that for like, it was just, it's like, if you're going to do comedy sketches, I mean, what do you expect from high school kids? Like, I can't be too hard on them, but at the same time you're watching that and like, they're very high on themselves for like, we came up with a great idea because we used a Saturday night live sketch. You know, we, we copied a Saturday. We literally stole from the most famous comedy sketch thing. And, you know, but anyway, so they would play that kind of stuff on the TVs, but I think they, maybe they would play like football game footage. You know, it was all, it wasn't like we were watching television. It was always like this, these internal, it was internal school propaganda, but it just, what always got me about that guy, I'm like, good for him. You know, I'm not, I don't bring this up to be like, uh, why did he do that? I mean, he, he wanted to let the world know he was gay and he did. And I'm fortunately for him, nobody did anything. I think it's good for him that people didn't celebrate. And I think it's even better for him that they didn't, you know, attack him or something, but just him turning off the TVs. Just, I never forgot that because it was like, what's, what's he, oh man, this is speaking of turning off the TV. Yeah. My mom's old home phone, which I've just kept in because she still has some, there's still places that only have that number. And I just, you know, I'm paranoid that if I cancel the home phone, you know, somebody important will try to reach me or something, but I only get calls on it when I'm doing podcasts, it seems like. And that one, it said it was from the Olympia School District. I answered it and it was, they were talking about credit card rates. That's a nice, that's good juxtaposition. They make you think it's the school district, which doesn't make any difference to me. I don't have kids. I don't know any kids. I don't know any teachers. Oh, excuse me. Educators. You mean educators? Um, but, uh, then it's like a credit card thing. Uh, yeah. But anyway, what I was saying is just this guy turning off the TVs and all that long story short, like (laughs) my, my friend Nick and I had a joke that was like that idea, the idea of somebody like announcing they're gay, but our version of that was like a guy announcing he's bald and everybody knows he's bald, but he's like, I'm bald, I'm bald. And everybody just looks at him. I think our joke predates that guy making the announcement turning off the TVs. I mean, cause that's just, it's, I mean, it's like a trope. The idea of somebody just making a bold announcement about themselves. That's like a deep, dark secret, but a bald guy just like finally accepting that he's bald and announcing it. And I, I made one of my shitty grandpa comics where he, he brings his grandson and granddaughter in and he's like, I have an announcement to make. I, I don't remember the exact lines I wrote, but I wrote, uh, but the idea is that he's like, I'm bald. And then like in one of the panels, like his head, his head just like starts to become like a ball. And then the final panel, his head is a planet with glasses rotating around the solar system. I want to do more of those someday. Like I love doing those shitty grandpa comics. And actually I ran into a dude uh, I know through metal and uh, he's a great artist himself. He does... He's a Mexican dude, but he does like Japanese style, uh, like kind of pervy Japanese style, like tentacle art, not anime, but just kind of like dark Japan influenced, uh, yeah, weird stuff. He's, he's really talented. Uh, but he, uh, is a friend of mine. I ran to him and he was like, yeah, my favorite thing you've done is, uh, the grandpa comics. And I'm like, whoa. And that, that's funny. Cause like. I guess since this is a self-referential episode, I, I will say that it is just funny. It's like the, the the shittiest things I've ever done. These like shitty little comics with weird jokes. 
end up being the most popular. But I wanted to make that a big thing. Like I wanted to keep doing that indefinitely. But you lose the momentum and, you know, it's just like it, it has its time and place. You know, I mean, that's something that I'm very conscious of is like sometimes you do something and then because you started doing it, you think you have to keep doing it when really you don't have the inspiration. And actually, I wrote a couple shitty grandpa comics that I never ended up drawing, but they, they were getting a little, I don't know, they were, they were, I, don't, I didn't really like the place they were coming from. But anyway, I'm bald. That's going to be me. I'm going to make that announcement. Once I'm fully bald, I'm going to make that big, bold, bald announcement. Uh, but anyway, getting back to what? What were we talking about here? You know, self-deprecation, for sure. Um, yeah, I have no idea. I have no idea how to cycle back in this one. Well, you know, I was talking about creating a website. I guess just, yeah, the dilemma of, like, how to write about a, a podcast like this, or if it's even necessary to write about... Because, I mean, this is such a, a weird little corner of one person's mind. And, you know, most podcasts are about something. Like, we're going to give, we're going to read Wikipedia and talk about a historical event and make jokes. There's like three podcasts I've listened to that do that, where you can tell they just, they, they read Wikipedia before they record and they talk about a historical event with kind of like little punchlines. And I'm not knocking them for doing that, but so many podcasts are about something. This is a podcast about this. This podcast is about me. This podcast is all about nature and me. And I'm inseparable from nature. Therefore, it's about nature and technology. And I guess that is a good way to move on from there. But yeah, just, you know, there's a domain name now. It doesn't necessarily serve any great purpose. But if you, for any reason, want to direct somebody to this podcast, if if you feel that this podcast would ever appeal to another human soul that you know, send them to schoolnightpodcast.com. And this is a really, this feels tacky, but I, I did, I put a donate button on there. Because, you know, I don't, I, I can't imagine, uh, you know, this show doesn't have the audience, you know, I'm not delusional. This show doesn't have the audience to like warrant a Patreon anyway. Or some kind of subscription service. But I would I would hate the idea of putting anything behind a paywall, even if I felt like that made sense. Even if I felt like there was an audience for that. I, I just I have nothing against people making money. I have nothing against people having paywalls or Patreons. Patreon. But me personally, like even if I was able, even if it was a feasible idea, I wouldn't want to do that. Same with like merch. Like, nothing against anybody, but, you know, these podcasts that are, like, hawking merch, I, I can't imagine wearing, you know, nothing against anybody who listens to this show who might wear podcast merchandise, but I can't imagine myself wearing podcast merchandise, which is why I'm announcing that we have a new store, and there's nothing in it. No, there's no store, there's no Patreon, there's no audience. But I did put a little donate button on, on that domain. If you ever feel like donating, feel free. That's all I'm going to say. If you ever want to donate to the cost of... If you, if you enjoy this show and you ever want to donate to the cost, there's a little donate button. Give me a nickel. Just give me a nickel. That's all I'm going to say. Donate to my bang fund. That's, how, that's what it is. Buy me bang energy drinks so I can keep doing this. 
I just decided to do that though. Cause you know, you know, I, I do put a lot into this and if somebody appreciates it, that option is available to them, but it's not necessary. Um, but, uh, you know, speaking of technology websites, you know, keeping it real simple, you know, I'm, I'm about to redesign my personal homepage and I love my homepage. I love the way it looks. You know, I love, I love just the way I haven't updated it in years, but it's very scattered. It's very cluttered. It's a very bad way to present my art, but it represents that time period. Cause I mean, it was created during the same period that I'm talking about where I'm like, the drink is, uh, the, the glass isn't half empty or half full. It's completely empty and I'm about to get another drink. I mean, that was very much where I was at when I made that homepage. And I do see it as kind of a creative project in and of itself. You know, I've been into web design since I was a kid. And while I haven't kept up on all the latest code, I haven't kept up on the latest code, just code words, just dog whistles. I only keep up on the latest dog whistles, not the latest code words and code. Uh, But I've always enjoyed throwing together websites. And, you know, I I did it freelance for people. And I, I also worked professionally in that field for a while, not doing design itself, but managing web developers and that kind of thing. And, you know, it, it was all right. You know, I, I wouldn't say it was pleasurable, but there is something pleasurable about just sitting down and putting together a simple website, especially an old school homepage. You know, I have a thing written on the site about that, that I won't reiterate here. And I'm going to keep an archive of my homepage. I'm going to keep an archive of the site as it is. But I, I do feel the need to just kind of have a cleaner presence to kind of clean that up. And uh, But I was last night I was doing some work and I was uh, playing around with WordPress, which I, I've used professionally. You know, I've used some, you know, some customized WordPress plugins. I, I've... I worked for I've worked for companies that use WordPress and it's it's a great, you know, content management system and everything for what it is. Uh, obviously it's oriented toward blogging, but it's actually pretty versatile, versatile, versatile. Uh, but I was thinking, oh, maybe I'll just redesign my website using WordPress because it's simple and it's become kind of the standard. And I had this vision of redesigning my site and being like, "Oh, I'm going to make it it's going to look like slick and professional." like a white background and maybe this, like basically I was thinking I would end up making something that looks like every other website now. But when I sat down with the WordPress templates, when I started looking at other professional websites, I just, I was like, I can't betray myself like this. I can't betray myself that like that. I don't believe in this. And this is going to be fleeting anyway. Like the standard for websites, like every website looks alike. And this goes along with the centralization that I was talking about. In the last like five or six years, as mobile devices have become one of the standards for viewing the internet, every website looks the same. And I'm not knocking people for doing this because part of it is that you want something that looks consistent across multiple devices of different sizes. But the result is big text. This big, there's been a trend in recent years to have this big like header image, like a, like a very high resolution photograph. And you see this on news articles. You see this on news websites. You see it on sites that provide services. You see it on basically every kind of website imaginable right now. And sometimes the header image kind of scrolls with the text and then fades into the white background. 
Sometimes it's just a big block there up at the top, but it takes up about like half the page. And it's become the norm to have this like high resolution photo background with text superimposed on it at the top of every website. It's become the norm to have all of the text is in these big bites. You know, like in the same way that uh, like if you read a newspaper article where it'll have like it'll take a quote from the main body of the text and it'll have that quote by itself for emphasis. It's kind of like the entire thing is that it's like you take out that body of text and you just have these slogans, basically. And again, it's because people the idea is that people have short attention spans they need to know exactly where to look. Like there was this trend and I, I experienced this professionally where it was make a big button. If there's a central thing that you want somebody to do when they come to the page, when they come to your site, make a big button, a huge, like, like, like and these are, what's funny about all this is that all of these things would have been considered ugly, simple, like they, they would have been considered um, ugly and rudimentary design 10 or 15 years ago, probably 10 years ago. Like the idea of having a big, ugly button at the top or in the middle of the screen, the idea of having like really huge oversized text, the idea of having a giant background photograph at the top of the page, the idea of every single site being white background. You know, all of these things would have been considered kind of like, oh, this is somebody who doesn't really know what they're doing. 10 or 15 years ago, but it's become the norm and it's become the norm, first of all, because it's easy to make that mobile. It's easy to, it, all of that translates to every device you use, which is why I understand why people do that and are doing that right now. If you run an online company, if you run a website that offers some kind of service, I understand. I'm not knocking people who do that. But then you add in the fact that a lot of them are using the same content management system. A lot of them are using the same, uh, the same website builders. And you end up with websites that all look exactly the same. It's, it's become extremely homogenous. And this is something that I enjoyed, and I've talked about at length, but what I really enjoyed about the early internet was every site that you went to was a unique experience. Even big companies. Because nobody really knew the best way to present information on the internet. Nobody really knew the best way to design a website. And they were often hiring random dudes. Like you could be a random dude and if you knew HTML and, you know, a little bit about Photoshop, you could be an innovator in that field working for big companies. And uh, it was pretty amazing. And the thing is, too, is you kind of had to explore websites as well. You know, I understand why companies now are like, we want a big button, what they call a call to action. It's called a call to action. You know, I understand why they do that. It's not like I don't understand from a marketing point of view, from a business point of view, why this is done. I'm not an idiot. But, uh... I, no, I am. Remember, I'm an idiot because I'm self-deprecating. Dude, I'm such an idiot. I'm an idiot. No, but uh, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to turn off all the TVs in the, uh, the office lunchroom and say, I'm an idiot. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> but uh, no, I understand why things have gone the direction they have. Like, it's one thing to criticize something and not understand it. 
which is what a lot of people do all the time, uh, which is what people do to me. Um, but no, I understand why people criticize things they don't understand because that's just kind of what you do when you don't understand something. Like I'm criticizing C2O plant-based energy drink because I just don't understand it. I don't. I don't understand this. It's like I, I, it's a, an energy drink for hippies, whereas bang energy drink is for men. No, this doesn't get any better, though. This drink does not get any better. It has a palm tree on it, which makes no sense. There's nothing tropical tasting about this. Because there's disgusting tropical drinks. Like back when I still drank alcohol, you know, like I would I would sometimes get like a tropical drink and it was disgusting. Like Malibu, it's like a turquoise drink. And you'd at least appreciate that it's like disgusting in a tropical way. This doesn't even have anything tropical about it, so fuck it. Not a C2O fan. But anyway, um, you know, websites were a unique experience. You'd go there and you might have to look around for what you wanted. And sometimes websites would deliberately do that. They would deliberately hide things that were important. Or things would get buried. Things would get weird. You know, it was an experience. And I understand not everybody wants to go to a website that provides a service and have an adventure. That makes sense. Again, I'm not an idiot. Yeah, I'm not an idiot. You know, I know I know how this works, and I've been in meetings. I've heard the discussions that go along with these decisions, and you know, so I, I I get it. But still, like, what gets me is that people who don't have to do this do it because they want their website to look professional according to what's professional right now. And I had this thought last night when I was like, kind of playing around with WordPress, and I was exploring some different options. I was doing a little research and I was like, you know what? This isn't going to stick. Well, it's nice to have something that you know will be completely consistent across multiple devices of different sizes. This design style is not going to stick. And I would be betraying myself if I were to invest in this, especially given that for my homepage, for example, I'm not trying to create a obvious service. Basically, what I want to do with my homepage is like, I want to have it be less cluttered. I want you to go there and to easily access my art, to easily access whatever information I want to provide. But beyond that, when it comes to the design, I'm not going to give into this stuff. And you know, I'm taking a big, bold uh, stance here. I'm not going to follow website trends. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm so cool. <laughs> but, uh, it's true, though, because, I mean, it's just, it's everything. You see the cycles of everything where, you know, I always use the examples of cars where it's like you get you get a few years of cars with rounded edges and everyone's like, oh, look at that rounded car. Wow, it's an amazing, it's, it's, all of its edges are rounded. And then five years later, they come out with a, a car, the same car, but it's like they squared the edges off and people are like, oh, my God, you see the, look at the square edges look at it, you know, and then five years later, it's rounded again. And you, it's just there's these little cycles and these little, you know, techniques people use to to make you think something is new when it's not. And that's just life. You know, it's again, everything is a story of contrast. Everything is a story of contrast. And you can use that, you know, to your advantage. I don't know that I really have, but uh, everything, you know, yeah, it's just, it's just kind of like you see trends and the next trend is going to be something that does the opposite and chances are it will be something that was already done 
because it is this constant cycle. It is this constant spin. It's this dance between one end to the other. Um, but it doesn't really change that much. But I see a change happening in web development as well, where right now every website looks exactly the same. And a lot of the people who are using the internet didn't really use it that heavily. They didn't really pay that much attention to the design. Some of them may have been too young or too old to have really immersed themselves in the internet during this sort of sweet spot where homepages were these kind of grotesque manifestations of someone's personality where they were just doing something for the simple sake that they could do it. There was a new way to express yourself. And if you knew basic HTML, if you if you had just a basic ability to navigate, you could throw together this thing and it might have some awful digital brick background with green text over it. It might have like a dancing GIF. There was one that was really cool that people had. It was like a stripper dancing. It was like this heavily pixelated little stripper with a maybe a stripper pole. I don't remember, but it was definitely a stripper. And she would like, she was like boogieing and she would get down. She was like standing up, like shaking herself, shaking herself. And then she would uh, kind of like boogie down to her knees. And it wasn't like pornographic, but it was definitely sleazy. And what was funny about that though, is like people, like dudes would just have that on their homepage. Cause it was just like, yeah, I like wild women. But then you'd, you'd have all sorts of things like a spinning globe you know, like a barber shop, uh, like uh, what do you even call those? Those like barber shop, like fake candy cane spinning things. You'd have stuff like that, but all kinds of things. People were very creative and, it, and chances are it looked like shit, but you didn't think about the fact that it looked like shit. And a similar sort of phenomenon happened with graphic design in the nineties, eighties too. But like when people started creating digital CD layouts, like, I'm a fan of ex- of experimental music, and with a lot of, like, Japanese noise and stuff like that, you saw these really ugly digitally... I mean, there was a lot of artwork that came out that looked like... Uh, like, if you've ever used, like, Windows Media Player, there used to be this function where you could, like, look at a visual representation of the music, and it was, like, a bunch of random squiggly lines in different colors, like, intersecting and going wild. It was, like the cheapest psychedelic effect you could ever imagine. And there were a lot of album covers that came out in the 80s and 90s, especially earlier 90s, that looked like that. Because it was like they had some sort of digital image generator or some sort of primitive effect. I mean, you can go into Photoshop now and it's just one of the mini filters. And you also saw that with even, even when it was unnecessary. Like as a fan of metal too, you would see where metal bands would like emboss their logo when they didn't have to. Because you look at like metal album covers from the 80s and, you know, before that, even like hard rock album covers, early metal album covers and stuff. And they're paintings where the logo is a natural part of the, the artwork. You know, it's very natural. Even if there's text overlaid, it's all very organic. It's all very aesthetically pleasing. And then we reached this period where people had Photoshop early or, or some sort of digital imaging software where it was like, oh, we can we can make uh, their logo look like a really shitty fake metallic sheen is on it. We can emboss the logo, and it's just a you know a Photoshop filter. 
but people hadn't really seen a lot of that. Like I remember getting my first digital imaging software. It was like a free, it came for free with something else. It wasn't Photoshop. It was something else like maybe paint shop pro. I don't know what it was. I think that might've been it, but it had some of those effects. And I remember like putting those effects on a, on a picture I took of my friend and being like, Oh, Whoa, like, this is amazing. Like I, I'm a genius. I'm a genius. I applied a filter to a photo of a friend and like showing my mom, I was like, look at what I did. And I think that was the the graphic design experience of, of that time too, because like you know we all have tons of CDs. Those of us who are into music like have tons of CDs that like have aged very poorly. But now that's cool again. Now it's because again I'm talking about these cycles where things become cool again. And I've seen people who are younger than I am who missed the boom of shitty graphic design who are deliberately making shitty Photoshop design. You know we've seen that with pixel art. I mean, it's not, this isn't new. We've seen where the internet already embraced that a few years back, like maybe five, 10 years ago, where people started making like shitty looking pixel art again and treating it like art. But I've even seen where in the underground now or what counts as the underground, whatever that means anymore. But I've seen where like younger people are now making like cassette layouts where they'll make it look like a shitty Photoshop effect because it's a throwback to when that was new. But, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I could never do that. You know, I, it's too con- it's too self-conscious. Because the difference is when people were doing that the first time, like when someone was putting together a death metal layout in 1993, and they were like, I'm the only guy in this city with Photoshop, so I can just apply an embossed filter and it'll all look like a genius. There was something naive about that on everybody's part, on the designer's part on the listener's part. Because you didn't buy albums back then. I mean, I wasn't buying death metal albums in 1993. But, you know, when I got into it, you know, some years later, like, I didn't buy albums that looked like that and think, this looks stupid. Like, there was probably something deep down where I realized it wasn't aesthetically great. Especially once I started to play around with digital imaging software. But... At the same time, I didn't look at it and be like, I, I know exactly what filter this guy used. And it looks stupid. What an idiot. You know, I didn't think that at all because the fact that it was possible at all was an achievement. And you even think about like Bethlehem Dictius, you know, which is a classic album. And the album cover, they took a painting and they applied a really shitty emboss filter to it. And I like it because it is what it is. But I like it in a, I'm very conscious of it. You know, it's like I don't look at it in the same way I would look at another album cover from the same period that's just a painting with, the, with, a, with like a clean logo superimposed. But like looking at that Bethlehem cover, it's like, yeah, they took a cool painting and they put a shitty effect over it. But it's also, it's what the cover is. This is the cover of the album. And that's what they thought was cool at the time. And I can appreciate that. I'm not going to make believe, you know, I'm not going to be delusional about it. Like I know that they put a shitty Photoshop filter over an otherwise cool image simply because they could do it and it was new. But, you know, it is what it is, too. And that's how websites were, where it was like it wasn't even that people were trying to make something that was aesthetically beautiful because you could do that with a minimal website. Because to me, minimalism is always beautiful. 
Like there is something beautiful about just, you know, black text on a white piece of paper with like a well-placed image with a border around it. You know, that kind of thing is, it, it will always stand the test of time. And like early websites looked like that and they look great. But there was an, a desire to explore because nobody had done certain things. And people got very creative. Like people would like create tables, you know, you create tables in HTML and they would like create a graphic background to go inside the table that made it look like something more organic or metallic, maybe something inorganic, something like a machine. And then you could add in like little images to the top of the table that were separate from the background of the table, but you created it in Photoshop so they would blend so that like the corners of the table, rather than being squared off, which the HTML forced, the the edges would be rounded or they would be custom shaped. And so you there were all these creative little techniques you would use that in retrospect looked shitty in the same way that an album cover with like a random Photoshop filter looked shitty. But because nobody had done it before, because it was this new frontier, the simple fact that you could do it made it impressive. And I mean, you hear the same thing in music. It's like, some music has has aged very poorly that came out in, let's say, the 80s or 90s because some sort of new digital effect had come out. And someone was like, well, nobody's used this before, so it's unique. And so the, the album has this, what to us now is an obvious effect. It's like a flange pedal or something, a uh, or a phaser pedal. Well, you can do creative things with a phaser pedal that don't sound like a phaser pedal. Like, you can set it just right so that you're not too conscious of what it is. But there's a person, especially if you've ever played music, where sometimes you'll hear like a really just over-the-top effect. And it takes you out of the moment because you're like, I know what effect that is. And I mean, I had this experience in high school where this girl that I was spending time with and, and her friend, we were in the car and there was some album she liked. I don't even know what it was. It was something I'd never heard. It was popular. I don't know what it was, but uh, it wasn't pop punk. It was just some kind of alternative rock album, I guess. And then we were all in the car, and she was like, this song came on, and at at the beginning of the song, there was this sort of like feedback with an effect on it. And it was literally just like the sound of someone turning on their amp with an effect already plugged in and on, and like the feedback of like turning on the amp and the volume going up and then the feedback going through like a reverb pedal or like a spring reverb or something like that. Like just that sound alone created just like this sound that like anybody who like listens to a lot of music or has, has owned a guitar knows exactly what that is. And it was really cute because she was like, what is that? Like we've been having, like her and her friends have been having this debate. Like, what is that sound? And I, I felt like an asshole. Like I wasn't an asshole about it, but I was like, Oh, that's just a, that's like guitar feedback going through a reverb pedal. And they were like, oh. It's like, oh, you asked me the wrong question. <laughs> you know, you asked the wrong guy the wrong question. Because to them, like, I'm just imagining, like, what what was going on in their brain. But that was the sort of experience that you have early on in music as a kid. Like, when I got, like, the first CDs I ever got, you know, or the first tapes, when I got like the first cassettes and CDs and stuff, like I didn't know like what I was hearing. Like I knew that I was hearing like guitar riffs, but you couldn't even really differentiate the bass from everything. Like you knew what a drum set sounded like, you knew what a guitar sounded like, but I wouldn't even be able to tell you like 
everything sounded insane. Everything sounded completely insane like during those years. Like think about being a little kid listening to a band and having no idea how it's made. You're just hearing everything. You know, you're hearing like a, especially if it's, if it's well produced, it's like you're hearing this congealed creature. And it was so cute to me that these girls that I was hanging out with were just like, what is that sound? And like, they, this is, this was something they had like debated between themselves. Like, maybe it's this, like, I have no idea what their conversations were like. Cause I was like the, I got, I was like a, I was really scientific about it. I was like, well, it's probably they turned on the amplifier and uh, some feedback from the amplifier went through their pedal chain and maybe they had a spring reverb or, or a reverb pedal with the spring setting on and uh, it kind of created this uh, this kind of echoey feedback. And, it, you know, it, unfortunately, I shot down their dreams and I'm sure they remember that moment. But uh, that just says everything right there where it's like they were so wonderfully naive about what they were listening to that like they sat there. What what got me about that, not to go on too long about this, but what got me about that was that they had obviously sat there in the car listening to that. They, they listened to it over and over again. Like even when I was in the car with them, they played it multiple times to like, they were like, listen to this and don't say anything. Like, listen to this. Like, what do you think this is? And it wasn't even like a sound that was open for interpretation. It wasn't like some like tape manipulation of a sample run through delay reversed. You know, it wasn't even like there was anything that creative done. It was like the band just decided to keep in this like this like two second moment of feedback. And I was just like, whoa, like they a human can do a lot. A human can entertain themselves with very little you can do a lot in your mind with very little and I felt bad though because my I just had this cut and dry answer uh, but I wish I could have played along I would you know um, but that kind of remind that you know that reminds me of is just like you know when you'd go to a website in the late 90s or early 2000s or when you'd see an album cover or just any kind of design any kind of graphic design anywhere and it was actually shitty on an aesthetic level, on a, on a, on a, as far as like posterity is concerned, like the only appreciation somebody is going to have for that is some like underground person 20 years from now doing it ironically because nobody does that anymore. Cause you used to see a lot of shitty Photoshop in the underground. And, uh, there reached a point though, where people learned kind of how to people kind of rediscovered classic aesthetics. Like I've talked a lot about people like getting back into like photocopy, black and white art, um, just coming up with simple designs, the kind of things that you would have seen earlier on. And people kind of discovered that, Oh, you can do that. You can do something more classic again. But then because these things go in cycles, then somebody was like, Oh, you know what? I can put an emboss effect on my logo again like the bands who naively did that, but it's corrupted, you know, and that's why uh, I don't like it. It's become corrupted by time. Like, you can't necessarily make an old-school website again and have it be authentic, which is which gets to my next point, which is, like, you also don't have to do what everybody's doing right now. I understand if, if you're creating a service for people, if you're trying to promote a mainstream company you want to reach as wide of an audience as possible. I understand why you do what everybody else is doing because people will go to your website and if it doesn't look like most websites 
or it's not simple and if it's not obvious, they will be like, eh, I don't know what I'm doing here. I don't trust them. You know, on an animal level, human beings, when they see something that is a little too different from everything else, they don't trust it. I don't blame people for that. But it's, it's just what they do. And so people will especially do that with web design, where like if somebody went to a website today and it looked like even a mainstream website from 1999, they wouldn't trust it. They'd be like, this looks antiquated. This looks like they're going to steal my credit card info. This looks like I'm going to click on things and there's going to be a bunch of broken links. This looks like I'm going to send it to an email address that, you know, if I contact them, I, it'll go to an email address that doesn't even exist anymore. They have a, a, a link to their, they, they have an email link to their webmaster, whatever that is. You know, if somebody saw all that, they wouldn't trust it. And for good reason, because the industry has changed, but it's not going to stay like this forever either. And I guess I just had a bold moment, a bald moment last night where I was like playing around with some things and like WordPress and just some different settings. And I was just like, I'd be betraying myself if I make my own website look like all these other websites. While I want it to be cleaner, I want it to be more accessible. I want there to be less clutter. I want it to be professional. I don't want to play into that. Because by playing into that, you perpetuate it, and I don't like it. And I don't judge anybody. I don't judge anybody for their websites, but like, I don't like that that we are now in this centralized, streamlined aesthetic where, even though all these possibilities still exist, websites are more homogenous than ever before. And so, you know, as I redesign my site, like it might not be anything grand. It might not be better than my old homepage which I'm going to have an archive of, but you know, I'm going to make sure that it retains its creativity because what I loved about websites from the start, from learning how to build websites as a teenager was that you could be creative in a, in a different way. In the same way that doing this show is creative to me in a different way than drawing is creative or recording music is creative. Like building a website to me was a creative experience, even when it was simple. It was simply just exploring the possibilities within the set of limitations. And it is a highly limited way of expressing yourself. And I would say, you know, be ready for the next phase of things. And be willing to contribute to that. You know, be willing to contribute to the next phase. Even if you don't create the next phase, you know, don't just do something because it's what popular websites look like. Uh... You know, and I, I'm just trying to keep this mindset in because I almost I almost made one that looked like everything. Like until last night, I was like, oh, I'm going to redesign my site soon and it's going to look like everybody else's site because that'll probably be the best way to market myself. That'll give me the best online footprint that I can have right now. And I'm just like, no, you know what? You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring some of that. I'm not going to leave that completely behind. But I'm going to think about ways that I can maybe merge the two worlds that I'm talking about. The one where homepages were this kind of maybe awkward, but also interesting, unique experience in their own humble way. While also maybe trying to consider the fact that I want this thing to look good on all devices. To consider that I want somebody to go to this and be like, oh, this is a guy who knows what he's doing in the current environment. And that kind of gets into the whole idea of like, 
not being too enthusiastic about modernity, like not being the, the first person in line to buy the new iPhone, but also not being the person who goes, I'm never getting an iPhone in, until they make me. You know, I, I feel like it's, it's, it's the Buddhist middle path where it's like asceticism, which is like, you know, don't have a website at all. Or, or if you have a website, make it ugly and antiquated. Make it torture. Your website should torture the viewer. You should have a, a neon background with a text that you can't read. You should have like a, a neon green background with bright red and orange text. You know, that's kind of like asceticism where it's like, you know, torture, material torture. But then you don't want to make something too cushy and modern either. You don't want to indulge modernity too much either. And so it's funny how the middle way, the middle path, you know, you can find it in all kinds of places. You can find it in your diet. You can find it in your, you know, the way you view the world, your politics, your website. It's true, though. You can kind of find a balance where it's like, I'm not necessarily trying to create something that is, a, is an outright protest of modernity, but I don't want to indulge modernity too much either. You know, and so that's just something that I, I've tried to take with me. And uh, I don't know that it's always successful. It's probably not successful a lot of the time. But it seems to feel right a lot of the time. It does. It's, it seems to be. Uh, it just seems to be a way to live, I guess is how I'd put it. <laughs> who knew that talking about web design, who knew that website design critique would end up with me saying, it's just a way to live. This land is mine God gave this land to me This brave, this golden land to me And when the morning sun Reveals her hills and plains I see a land where children can